0: Welcome, and thanks for tuning in. You're listening to a sermon from Higgins Wesleyan Church, where our mission is to link others to Christ and his love through our church. Heavenly Father, you are such an awesome God. We've been overwhelmed, as we always are this time of the year, with the color, with the magnificence of the fall season. We think of all that goes on, and uh, science will give us a lot of ideas of how come the leaves change and things like that. But we know it's because you programmed them to do that. We know it's because you're a magnificent God, and you just can't help yourself but let your splendor be seen around. And we are overwhelmed with it, and we thank you for it as a blessing that you you send our way and how privileged we are to to just enjoy such such beauty. But it's not just the color of the trees and that kind of thing. You are awesome in so many, many ways. We certainly think of Calvary's cross and Jesus paying the price on that cross for our sin. We think of the ways that you heal us, sometimes in a physical way, sometimes in a mental and emotional way, but always... You always have your hand reach, reaching out to us. You're always saying through Christ Jesus, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden because you want to give us rest, rest for our souls. You want to rejuvenate us. You want to give us a spirit of joy, a spirit of contentment and happiness, and fulfillment. And you want to lead us whether it be through the valleys or in the mountains or in those ho-hum days in the middle. And you want to encourage our hearts, and we thank you for that, Lord. <clears throat> I think of our youth group, and we pray for them, especially as they're preparing for this trip this winter. I ask that you would encourage their hearts and help them as they raise the funds and all of that. Think of the other groups, the ladies group in our church, and they do so many things behind the scenes and getting ready for our harvest dinner and all that those things and uh, boy oh boy you've given them such great talent and I pray that you continue to, to encourage and direct them our men's group we pray father that we would be the men of the church who would be able to stand up in a world that uh, just doesn't look at male leadership anymore and help the people to realize that being led by you to lead our families is a great plan and I thank you father for the opportunity to have a congregation like we do that comes together to worship you so often. I know that some of our college friends are not here today. They're on break and coming back. I pray that you give them a safe trip. I pray that you would encourage their hearts, and I pray that you would help them to be a bit rejuvenated so they might continue on and do the work you've directed them to. And right now, Father, I just ask that you would speak to our hearts. Where there is discouragement, encourage. Where there is hardship, I pray your blessings and direction. Where there is confusion and frustration, I pray that you bring clarity. Most of all, Father, in all of our lives, I pray that you would shine and that the world would see that in Christ Jesus there is Not only hope, but there is joy and there is peace and excitement and enthusiasm as we live for you. So lead us on, I pray, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you. Isaiah 6, and we'll look at eight verses today. I don't hear a lot about holiness anymore. When I started preaching some 36 years ago, you heard a lot about it. In fact, there were a group of churches that were known as holiness churches. The Wesleyan Church is one of those churches. And it didn't matter which Wesleyan Church, or Nazarene, or Free Free Methodist, or several different churches. If you'd go to them... Never been there before. You just popping on 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 some uh, Sunday. Uh, you would probably hear a holiness message, and you would hear a lot of familiar words. If you were you're familiar with holiness back in those days, we always talked about sanctification, holiness, purity, perfection, and things like that. And it was very very common. But over the years, we don't seem to hear so much about that. And. Uh, We've come to the place where if I would ask the question, well, what about holiness? What's the big deal? And you would find a lot of people would say, well, not much. It's not really a big deal. Oh, yeah, I know it's in Scripture, but, uh, you know, not such a big deal. Well, and if by that we mean our terminology has slipped a little bit to nothing else, that's okay. But as I read through the Scriptures, I, I come across passages of, of Scripture like Matthew 5:48, and they just make my mind just kind of whir a little bit. And uh, Matthew 5:48 says, Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wow, now theologians have uh, turned that one inside out and upside down and all around a lot of times, try to figure out what it says, and you can uh, try to downplay it a little bit if you want, but I'd be careful. Because Jesus himself is saying, you've got to get this one right. You want to talk about perfection? Here's your, here's your pattern. It's God. And then I, I find passages like uh, Hebrews 12, 14. It says, pursue peace with all men. That's a good idea. And the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. A sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Ooh, maybe that's a little bit important too. So when I, when I come across passages of Scripture like that, all of a sudden this holiness thing begins to take on a new importance. And I begin to realize that I need to understand it and have it applied in my life in a very, very real way. Uh, over the last few weeks, I've actually been easing into the topic of holiness, and uh, each week, I don't know if you noticed or not, but uh, I, I would mention it just a little bit more, and maybe a little bit more. Well, this week, we're going to jump right into it because uh, we're looking at Isaiah chapter 6, and, and certainly that deals with, with the holiness of God and what He expects of us. And when I read Isaiah chapter 6, the first eight verses especially, three questions come to mind. How holy is holy enough? And how clean is clean enough? And how strong is my desire to serve God? Let's pray. Father, your word is before us, and I would pray very earnestly that I would be able to put forth your word so that your meaning, your emphasis, your understanding comes forth and it permeates our souls. I ask, Father, that your word would revolutionize our lives. Each week when we look to it, it's exciting to know that you are speaking these words, not just in the past, but you are speaking them to us. And so get a hold of our hearts and make of us everything you desire us to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. How holy is holy enough? Look at those first four verses. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet and with two he flew. And one called out to another and and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was was filling with smoke. King Uzziah, he reigned from uh, uh, the age of about 16 till he was in his 50s. And King Uzziah was a good king. He wasn't the best, but he wasn't the worst. He did a lot of good things, but he let some evil things go on in his kingdom. But yet he was was in many ways uh, a king who accomplished uh, much for Israel at that particular time. But he died. He just up and died. I mean, doesn't it take a lot of nerve to be the king? And to be ruling uh, the the country and just up and die? I mean, look at all that he was doing and yet gone. But kings do that, don't they? Without notice or anything. They die. And monarchs do it and dictators do it and presidents do it and governors do it and pastors do it and fathers and mothers do it and, and, boy, they just die but what about God? Man, what about God? It's not a coincidence that the vision came to Isaiah at this particular time, the time of Uzziah's death, because he he knew him well, and he knew all that was going on in the kingdom. And all of a sudden, everything changes. If you've been around uh, long enough, you've seen leaders of countries die. And you've seen how everything seems to change. It comes to a halt for a minute, and then what was normal isn't normal anymore. And then we have all these questions about what's the new guy going to do and what's going to happen. And you just, wow, you kind of stand back and you wonder. But God burst forth on the scenes. And the picture of him being in the temple. And the temple, of course, wasn't big enough for him. And God was saying to to uh, uh, Isaiah, "I am here, and I'm not here in any small way. I am here in all my glory, and I am here in a big way for you. And I am here to let you know that I am alive, and that I will not go any place. I am God." Wow! What a magnificent time. That was for Isaiah to have, have that vision. Boy, he's something. He, he rules without end. His holiness is beyond belief. And Isaiah's vision, I'm sure, opened his eyes as never before. And Isaiah of today probably would say something like, like, like this. Like, he's, the bigger th- he's the bigger than the biggest and he's the best of the best and he's more perfect than the, than the most perfect and he's awesome and he's beautiful and he's frightening and he's full of mercy and grace and love and, 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 and how holy is he? Well, he is... What are the words that we use? To describe God's holiness. What's, what's the word. That is. Big enough. I like the word awesome. And, and I remember one preacher saying. We should never use the word awesome. For anything other than God. Because our God is an awesome God. And there's a song out, out like that. A Christian song. But it is awesome. A good enough word, a big enough word to describe God and His holiness? I think we have to get bigger than that. Something that's more demonstrative. Something that's got a little more pizzazz to it. And so, I, I guess... I guess there aren't words. There are not words big enough, awesome enough, beautiful enough, powerful enough to describe Almighty God and His holiness. But you know, this passage of Scripture shows us very quickly that Isaiah went from thinking about God's holiness to his own And so we might ask the question, how holy should we be? How holy is holy enough? How holy should I be? Well, I'd rather think about how holy you should be. We want to talk about how holy you should be, because that's that's an easier subject for me to talk about. But I, I don't think that's really where we ought to go, is it? Does it matter so much how holy you are? Well, it does, but it doesn't when the subject and the fingers are pointing to me. And it comes to this point where Almighty God and I have some business to do with how holy I ought to be. How holy is that? I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. But I do know where the problem lies when it comes to personal holiness. And by the way, holiness is always personal. Let's get over this. Well, it has to do with the church. It has to do with how the church worships and all that. Holiness is always personal. It's always about us and God. And the problem comes when I look for the enough in my personal holiness. What's enough? How holy is holy enough for me to be that would satisfy God? That's not for me to decide, is it? That's for God to decide. And that brings us to the next subject, how clean is clean enough. Take a look at the next verses, verses 5 to 7. And then I said, this is Isaiah talking. Then Isaiah said, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. It's interesting that he got it right, didn't he? He wasn't talking about Uzziah. I've seen the king. Who's the king? The Lord is the king. The Lord of hosts. He is king. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Wow. But hold the phone for a minute. Think about it. Who are we talking about? We're talking about the prophet Isaiah. This wasn't the beginning of him being a prophet. And we're talking about one of the greatest of all prophets of the Old Testament time. And all of a sudden, we hear him himself saying, Woe is me, I am undone or I am ruined. As he starts to do this comparison thing between himself and, and Almighty God. And his self-evaluation was quite an evaluation. I am unclean, a man of unclean lips who lives among unclean people. Isaiah's purification process takes place place in just those few verses. And uh, uh, really, you know, when you stop to think about it, the process is a bit ugly, but the end result is pretty good. Forgiven, cleansed, God's purifying fire had touched him. The scripture gives us a picture, and if we follow the picture and we try to make it literal, you know, uh, just imagine... Imagine the flying seraphim, that's one thing. Imagine that he goes to the altar, that's why this is pictured in the temple, and he goes to the, the to the burning coals that are there for burning incense and for sacrifices and so forth, and, and with a pair of tongs, he picks up one of those coals. You ever see a red-hot cold? I mean, one that's really red-hot. And you pick it up in a pair of tongs, and next thing you know, the tongs start to take on the glow Of the coal, now he takes this coal and he flies to Isaiah, and you see no no uh, resisting at all from Isaiah, and he touches his lips. Why? Well, if you read in the New Scripture, New Testament, the scriptures, they will tell you that uh, uh, it's it's not just the the lips of the mouth. That's the problem, for it's what comes out of the heart that's the problem. So the picture we have really here is the purification of Isaiah's heart. How pure was it before doesn't matter. God wanted to make it better in comparison with what it was, and Isaiah is continuing to compare with who God was. Cleansing is an interesting thing. Surface cleansing is relatively easy. You know that, don't you? It's relatively easy. You know, take a bath. That takes care of a lot of it. Develop a new set of vocabulary. That takes care of a lot of it. And then a lot of people would do well to develop a new vocabulary. Some of this old stuff that we have in our, our adjectives and descriptive terms aren't the best. But it doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to develop a new, new vocabulary, and it doesn't take a special spiritual work to do that. We can do that on our own, can't we? I mean, come on. We can get that one done. And uh, better habits. It's, it's, it's not too hard to realize that if we stick with the old habits, we're going to be the old self. And we need to get rid of some of those old habits and develop some new habits. And and that's relatively easy to do, too. We We can do that. We know about discipline and things like that. But you see, there's more to this thing of healing and purification. Because purification isn't the whole issue. There must be healing along with it. Now, as I said, you know, there's some things that we can take care of ourselves. The bad habits, uh, uh, well, if we don't take care of them, they become some pretty rough unconscious behavior. And we ought to ask ourselves the question, why do I do some of the things that I do? Why do I, why do, I do this stuff? And there's some reasons. I, I would just, just leave three with you today. One's bad habits. And we do a lot that we do because of our bad habits. And our habits are just what they say, habits. And they they become unconscious behavior after a while. And we do some of the things because of bad history. As I was growing up, I had an uncle that I adored. The feeling was not mutual. And I remember when I was a little guy preschool, so that's back a ways, and I remember just wanting his approval, and he always addressed me the same way. He said, hey, knucklehead, now, I'm only four or five at best, and I'm not exactly sure what knucklehead means. I still haven't completely figured that one out. But this I knew. It wasn't good. And I knew he figured that I was a knucklehead, whatever that was. And so I grew up, yeah, it was just my uncle, it wasn't my parents, I understand all that. But somebody that was special in my life... I grew up, and it became a very subconscious thing, realizing that I'm a knucklehead. And, you know, frankly, that doesn't help you in school. And when the teachers look at you and wonder why you did so poorly on a, on a test or something, you know, you know, right in the back of your mind, it says, well, it's because I'm a knucklehead. What do you expect? If you're a knucklehead, you're going to do these kind of things. And... You know, that's just the tip of the iceberg on some of our history. Bad habits, bad history, and Satan's lies. Satan tells us a lot of things. It's amazing that when, for whatever the situation would be, whether maybe we aren't prayed up, maybe we haven't worshipped God as we ought to, maybe, uh, I don't know. But there are times when Satan speaks to us and we say, be gone! And there are other times when he, in a very crafty way, lets little ideas come our way and we pay attention. We can, we can handle some of this surface cleanliness and, and things like that. But you see, when God wants to to purify us. It takes more than just a quarterizing. It takes a healing, too. And that healing has to happen deep down, we say, within our hearts. But it's not in our hearts. We know that. It's up here in our heads. And some of that healing takes some time. But when you do some of the things that you do, ask yourself, why did I do that? We know at times that we say the wrong things, don't we? Why? Why would you say things like that? Why would my uncle call me knucklehead? Probably because he was called knucklehead when he was a kid. Who knows? I don't know. But why did I feel like it was normal for me to be stupid? Why did I feel it was normal for me you know, to get D's and E's and feel just really proud of myself when I got a C once in a while? Because I was kind of programmed that way. And I was really surprised when I did well at something. I thought, most knuckleheads don't do that good. And you know, I can't talk myself out of that. But God can heal. And God has done a pretty good job at that one. There's some other things, I'm sure. And there's some things for you t- from that you have too, some issues that you have. Some things that you do, you don't know, understand why in the world you did that, said that, responded that way. God knows. And maybe you can go back and catch it in your history someplace, or a bad habit that became perpetual, or or something, or maybe it's one of Satan's lies. And and we're not gonna unravel at all, but God knows. And I think that we ought to pray something like this. God, that dumb thing, I just did it again. And I not only need to be cleansed from doing that, but I need to be healed from the source. That's part of God's cleansing. He can heal us. He can take some things if to perhaps to those things that happened to us way back when. Don't go home and say, you know, all my bad problems are from my parents and their fault and everything. That's not what I'm saying. Because guess what? Most of our parents did the very best they can, could. As parents, you do the very best you can. And the next generation or the next generation after that, the Lord Terry's going to look back at you and say, what in the world were they thinking when they did that? Forget that. Don't go there. But do visit this one. There are things in my life that have programmed me to do some things that aren't so good. And God, Almighty God, the Holy God of the universe, He can heal me from those things. when that happens it brings me to the last question and that's how strong is my desire to serve God I like Isaiah I like what he did here then I heard the voice of the Lord saying whom shall I send and who will go for us and then I said here am I send me and oh by the way Lord where am I going what am I doing how am I supposed to do it now you don't find that there do you not there God says who and the answer is me he I was taught you're not supposed to cut people off you're supposed to let them finish their, their their sentences but it's okay here God says who you say me no you say you not me I'll say me you say you okay got that one right well but Isaiah got the picture right God's description wasn't too good. If you want to go home, do a little homework, read the next few verses, read the rest of the chapter. You know what he told Isaiah? He said, you're going to go and you're going to preach to my people. Scratch that. He stopped saying my people. And he started saying this people. They'd walked away from God. And he said, you're going to speak to this people, and they aren't going to listen. And you're going to preach your heart out, and they aren't going to care. But he wasn't saying this to say to Isaiah, you got a horrible job. He was saying it to help Isaiah realize two things. What he was up against. And that if you read far enough, you'll see that he begins talking about this remnant. And that there will be those who will positively respond to me because of your preaching. So, what does God want me to do? I think our ideas of serving him are so flawed If I were to ask you to write down what does it mean to serve or to serve God, it would be interesting what what, what the responses would be. But I think for the most part we've gotten way over involved and and, and, uh, I think we need to simplify things a little bit. You see, the Bible is full of ideas and descriptions of service. But I've realized that my service parallels my understanding of God's love. And God's love flows to me from Calvary's cross. And when I get that right in my heart, this idea of service changes completely. You know, when we think of service, we think of what we have to do at certain times in my life. When I picture service from, from this kind of idea with, with uh, um, my desire paralleling, par- paralleling His love and His love flowing from Calvary, I begin to realize that this isn't a moment in time, a once in a while thing that I do. This isn't a service kind of have-to thing. This is a want-to thing. And for me, service is simply this, living each moment of each day with Almighty God and doing whatever He asked me to do. And it doesn't matter if it seems like it's like it's a, a monumental thing or a simple little thing. It doesn't matter if it seems like something that's, that's so, so big and grandiose and everybody's going to pat me on the back for it or nobody's going to know that I did a thing. What I think service is, is being so in love with God that everything I do Everything I say is for him. It's not for me. I don't want to do anything for me anymore because I am far more in love with God than I am in love with me. And the scripture talks about loving ourselves. That's a good thing. But I need to love God more. And then when I get up in the morning and when I begin to, to, to work on these crazy messages, well, It's not for me. I don't want to disappoint you, but it's not even for you. Sorry. It's for Him. It's for God. And if He gives me the opportunity to get on my horses and ride, baby, ride, and walk off into the woods, well, I do that because I enjoy it, but I do it for Him. And whether it's work or whether it's shoveling snow, we had some of that today. It doesn't matter. This is what it means to serve Almighty God. Let's pray. We say a lot of things, Father. We try a lot of things. We, we do a lot of things. And on our good days, we really want to be everything that you want us to be. And it starts to go okay, and we, we seem to feel our spiritual welfare is doing, doing okay. And, and then somehow things get complicated. And frankly, I would admit, Lord, that sometimes I complicate things. Help me simplify this thing about being your servant, pure, and holy. Help me boil it all down to just every moment of every day, living for you, in service to you and for you. And help me be that sanctuary, whatever that means. Help me be that sanctuary, pure, holy, clean, set aside especially for you. And let that be my heart, I pray and lead us to live in this world as that sanctuary. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, and God bless you. Thanks for taking the time to listen. For more information, you can find us on the web at higginswesleyandchurch.com. And don't forget to like us on Facebook. Also, feel free to subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes for more from the folks here at Higgins. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.